worship we've had and continue in worship as we look into his word. Have you noticed in scripture that oftentimes, certainly in Paul's writings, he'll take us to the highest point, kind of where we are right now, where, where we're focusing our mind's attention and our heart's affection on who God is. Actually, he does that in 11 chapters in Romans, the Summa Theologica, the, 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 the sum of all that he taught really could be evidenced or taught from Romans. And many of you studied Romans, but you get to the 11th chapter in the last verse, and guess what he does? He sings a doxology. He sings a doxology. He sings a praise unto God. And then, you know what he does next? He says the word, therefore. Therefore. And you know, one of my professors with many doctorates said, when you get to the therefore, ask yourself, what is it there for? <laughs> so we're at that therefore moment in this service. Like, why are we here? You know, most people tell me on the way in, please preach an hour and a half. We really don't like short sermons. That's what they tell me. I'm like, I don't understand this church. It's just so different. The youth were begging for a long sermon. I am lying. That is not true. But that's why we're, the reason I mentioned this is, is Philippians is like that. I, I spent a lot of my time in Philippians too with you. Uh, twice talking about it, one in a message, one referring to it. And then uh, in my studies, in my personal devotional reading and rereading Philippians 2. Because other than Luke 2, and really an extension of Luke 2, the birth of Jesus Christ, if you want to know what Christmas is about, it's found in Philippians 2. So we're going to start there and get to a therefore. Would you please join me in Philippians 2? And we did this, and we're doing it again. I was thinking about why I didn't re-preach or re-context or re-explain passages. And you know why? When I was a pastor, people would complain. I'm here to admit to you the reason I didn't do something I should have done was because people would complain. Now, I'm not naming anybody, can't remember anybody, but how many times have you ever complained, didn't we sing that hymn last, or we didn't sing that praise song last? We're supposed to sing praise songs over and over again, but God forbid that I should use an illustration twice or re-preach a message I found, right? What if I need it? What if we need it? So I'm going to go over Philippians 2 again and retouch on these again, and, and please, the message is on complaining, so I'm warning you right now. No, actually, I'm taunting you. Please start complaining right now. Please do. That was not from the Lord right there, actually. Listen to Philippians 2, please. Would you? Would you please just, just let God speak to you through this? And let's do the downs and the ups one more time because I really think this is rich. In Philippians 2, Paul writes, If you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, do we? Yes, we do. If any comfort from His love, do we? Yes, we do. If any fellowship with the Spirit, do we? Yes, we do. If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the Spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of one of you, each of you, should look not only to your own interests but also to the interests of others. Listen to this hymn, this high and lofty place to which the Apostle Paul is going to take us, reminding the New Testament church of what they sang and, of course, what we sing. Verse 6. Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. I don't often mention a teaching that I've done and say go back to it, but if you were not here, I encourage you, and this whets your appetite, this down and up and down and up, these four downs and ups. Would you go back a couple weeks, I think the second Sunday in, in December, refresh your mind on these. This is so rich. 
the where from where he came down and to what he raised up. And it's uh, down is the new up is the title of the message. It's on our webpage. The first down he says is Jesus left perfection. Have you ever had a perfect moment? I asked you and I asked you. Have you ever had a perfect moment? Not one, but every one of his moments. The son, the second person of the Trinity. Remember this. Jesus as a person is an instance in history. That is an historical person. But for all times and for eternity, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, had experienced perfection and harmony and unity and bliss with the Father and the Spirit. We see it ruptured on the cross. The perfection, he describes the breaking of it on the cross when he says, My God, once for the Father. My God, once for the Spirit. Why hast thou forsaken me? Perfection was lingered and lingered through his life because he maintained it through prayer. But on the cross, because of your sin and my sin, it was completely ruptured. No perfection. The perfection of the cross is our salvation. But it was completely for our salvation that he took on the lack of perfection. He became sin, the Bible says. Who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Translated for you, he left perfection so that you could someday know perfection in heaven. Amen? So look, I mean, I'm just trying to point out how high we're going in Philippians because we're going to go to a subject that just shocked me this Christmas. Now, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. He went down from the highest position, the second person of the Trinity, to become a servant. John 13 tells us that he wrapped a towel and washed the disciples' feet because nobody else would do it. And then after doing that, he said, now, this is your job. If I've done it, I've done it to show you what leadership is. If anyone ever tells you in the church there's another form of leadership than, other than servant leadership, would you ask them to show you in Scripture? Because as one who studied it and academically studied it, I've never seen any other description of leadership in the Bible other than we are called and saved, became child of God to be servants. Have you found another model? Have you found one that says it's top down and I'm in control here? I'm the boss here. I'll have my will here. I've not found it. I only see this one model, and that is servant leadership. All right. Let's continue on through, through Philippians. Down from position up to be a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself down from power up to make a statement. Down from power, up to make a statement. Does anything make a statement like the second person of the Trinity not being born in a palace, but being born in a manger? Displaced. No one notices. No one seems to care. He left a place where angels, by the untold trillions and trillions, sing his name to a quiet place. Where no one spoke. Boy, did he leave position and power and perfection to make this statement I love you. I love you. Boy, does it make, what could make a better statement than that? And so we're here at this high point looking at Philippians 2, and I'm telling you why. I will tell you why. Stay with me. So, up from down from power, up to make a statement. The statement of the manger, the statement of the incarnation of Jesus Christ is powerful and it's deafening if you can't hear it if you can't hear God saying I came to tell you I love you something's really wrong with your spiritual hearing pray about that 
and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Down from peace to chaos to submission. Why did he die on the cross? Why did he leave the most peaceful place? Vance Habner said, heaven is the most beautiful place the mind of God could imagine and the hand of God could create. The most peaceful, beautiful place that could be imagined or created. He left that. And submitted himself to the will of God so that you might know peace and you might be saved. That's why. So the New Testament church is singing of this submission that he made to us for our salvation. And then it goes up. Look how the, the praise goes up. So therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name. That the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is like going through 11 chapters of Romans and getting to verse 12 and saying, Now therefore. Now look look what he says after going to this highest of places. Do not forget this is connected in the heart and mind of God through Apostle Paul to us. There is a word in verse 12. Does anybody see it? Therefore. This is what, this is what we're there for. We didn't sing about, about the downward mobility of Jesus Christ so that we could go on sinning and go on living any old way we please. No, he has a way for us, a way to live. And in 2017, he wants us to live this way. Now, what do you think? If you've been on Facebook, you've already found out what's going to be in here. But what would you guess he would say is the biggie? Hey, hey, don't say Someone's already told. But wouldn't you think it would be about the problems of homosexuality? Or the declining moral compass and ethic of our land? Wouldn't it be about some of the biggies like the Big Ten and the Ten Commandments? Why would... That's what I would have thought. So reading through this Christmas, I just kept reading down. What a mistake I made. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence... Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining. Can we just all for once, because after today we won't be able to. It won't, we won't be allowed to. Can we all just audibly moan? Oh, did you have to put that in there, Paul? Listen, if in the last 10, 10 days you found out that I, myself, Ryan, Anna, Leslie, if you found out that, that the staff, Abby, that you found out we had been, you know, had a party, a staff party, and we really boozed it up. By the way, we didn't. Because there's always someone that clicks out right there and says, did you hear? The staff had a booze party. No, I'm not endorsing that. And I'm not saying it would be good. Can you imagine the unemployment line we'd all be standing in? So I turn to this and I say, so therefore, and it does say in the scripture, do not be drunk with wine. So I would expect it. This is such a high point we're at. Where would the apostle Paul touch on? Clean up your life. Stop drinking. I mean, and that's a good word, you know, if that's what you need to hear today. But I'm trying to point out, not a comparison, but a contrast. Are you surprised that the word he says is stop complaining? I just want to say to God, God, what is your deal about complaining? I like it. Now, some of you are not laughing, and that's okay. 
Uh, you're going to find out today, psychologically speaking, from a Christian psychologist, why we like it. So stay tuned. Why do we like it? Why do we like to grumble? Why do we like to complain when life doesn't go our way? So he says, let's, let's read it, do everything. I hate that word too. Surely some things I can complain about. No, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that it did not run or labor for nothing. Paul in prison talking to his children that he had led to Christ, and many of them directly and indirectly to Christ, the church that loved him. This is his beloved letter. This is a letter that is warm and yet challenging. He says to them, you're my children. And I'm at the end here. I might die. They may take my life. Here's the trophy that would mean more to me than anything else. Would you become the church that doesn't complain? Let me say this to you. I believe God has your pastor at hand. I've been praying this Christmas for it. The Advent means coming, and I was praying for coming. I thought, well, wouldn't it be great if the coming of your pastor was nigh? And I thought, Lord, what, what should I teach? And this passage was not from that. I was going to teach this, Lord. When I was preparing to teach the next chapter, the next part of the chapter of Philippians, I thought to myself, if I was coming to be your pastor, which I'm not, listen, I've made a covenant with God. I'm not going to be your pastor. Don't bug me about it, please. Don't tell me you want to. Don't tell me you don't want me to. It's a moot point. But I thought, what if it was me? And then the interim pastor could say, I would like to give you a gift. And this would be a sort, sort of an A, B, or C multiple choice. Y'all give tests. Many of you do. Here's the gift. Number, letter A. Number A, letter two. Maybe I need to turn in my degrees. But anyway, A. A church that everyone tithes. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Or B. A church that is really communicating well and has all of their organizational pieces in place. Ooh, that'd be nice. I'm a systems guy. I like that. Or what about C? No one complains. I almost, almost started driving off the road. I was in the spirit. I took my hands off the wheel. I never went to a church that wasn't full of complaining. And if I had, I couldn't have joined it. I is one. But I'm making a 30-day fast with my wife to not complain. She walked in yesterday uh, and said, I'm reading something. I'm going to read it to you. I don't normally read to you. I'm going to read something in just a moment. But, but she said, look at this. And we read it together. And I went, oh, my goodness. We complain. So you have been given the opportunity to hold me accountable if you hear me complain about anything. Aren't you excited? Now look at the elders going. Ooh, man. That's not just the elders. Everybody here. You hear me complaining? After 30 days, I'm going to complain. No, I'm not going to. I mean, I'm gonna, we're going to fast, not so that we can feast. We're going to fast on the, Lori and I are going to do this together. We're going to read the scriptures about complaining. We're just starting. We're going to work on it. You'll see why. But, but can I just start with asking you once again to look in Philippians and say, do you think, could you possibly imagine that it's an accident that Paul said all this 
Here is the song we sing about the person of Jesus Christ, what he gave up, what he became, how he died, and then go into this word, therefore, to tell us, now I want to say something to you, and then to couch that in these words, I might die soon. These are my last words to you. I've sat at the bedside of many, many people dying as a pastor. Last words matter. What if you heard these last words from your spiritual mentor? Don't complain. Wouldn't you wonder why? Why is that such a big deal? It's the forgivable, even encouraged sin in our lives. Let's find out together for just a moment. We won't be here long, but we are going to be here and get a rich blessing from this, I assure you. So, the thing I want to draw your attention to, please join me and look at some verses here in verse 12. And I want to highlight something that is a principle you'll find in Scripture in other places but look at the principle and draw your understanding from it. Uh, first, we've got to see what the Scripture says about this so that then we can go and see what maybe other Christians who've written about this say. But first, the Scripture says, Therefore, my friends, as you always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to... Do you see the word work out in your translation? Work out. That, that, that word is a compound word, which means... It's a perfect imperative. It means work on and work down. It's kind of like if you could picture someone working on something and they're working it out and they're working it out and they're working it out. You ever seen a skilled craftsman working with their hands and you see whether they're working something out on leather or something out in fabric? Or maybe it's I, my sister-in-law is a potter. Uh, she's a, she, she throws pottery. She's, I see her start with a lump and she has a wheel and she's kicking it with her foot. She's got the old type. And after a while... You see it working out, working out, working out, working out. And then there's this beautiful vase. That's the picture. Working it out. Now, notice, notice he's not done. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to do the will and, act, to, to, will and to act according to his good purpose. You don't have to know the Greek language to see the play on words. Do you see it? Everybody here needs to see it. He says, what God is working in, you must work out. Let me say that again. He is saying what God is working in to your life must work out of your life. That's the equation. That's the way it works. It doesn't work any other way. By the way, let me tell you, if you are thinking anything else, you do not know the gospel. You do not know the good news. If you're trying to work out your salvation to be saved apart from God, I've had people say to me, I would come to your church, but if I did, the roof would cave in. Let me straighten out my life, and then I'll come to church. You hear what they're saying? Let me work it out. I'll get it all worked out. I've had people that I've gone to see in their homes uh, that were alcoholics, and they stopped coming, or they had never come, and the wife or the spouse or the husband would say, Come see my spouse. Come see my daddy. Please, I could never resist that. A teenage boy or girl saying, Come see my daddy. He's in bad shape. I'll work this out. And once I get it worked out, then I'll come to church. Let me tell you, the gospel is God works it in. And then we work it out. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It says in the Bible, for while we were yet sinners, that's every one of us, Christ died for us. You know what that means? When you were, before you were born, how can you work something out before you're born? We have kids here coming in and out. I love the, the children in the service, don't you? But before, a little baby in the nursery, how can they work it out? I mean, before you're born, how could you work it out? And God said, oh, before you're born, I worked it out, and I'm going to put it in. 
So you receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. You make that decision to receive Christ. And then he says, I put it in. It's got to work out. It comes out your mouth. It comes out your life. It comes out uh, your actions and your deeds. It comes out what you say, and it comes out through what you don't say. The Greek indicates there's something inside that's coming out. And he's not talking about working your salvation to work it out. To become a, He's talking about your salvation just has to come out. It will. We don't work for our salvation. We work out our salvation. But once you have your salvation, it's got to be lived out. Do you see that? Does everybody see that? It's clear as can be in your translation that God puts salvation in you, forgiveness in you, His Spirit in you, and that has to work out. If that's not happened to you, would you please do that today? Receive the gift of eternal life today. Stop trying to be good enough or climb a ladder or, or do the right things or become religious or intelligent or smart, whatever. That will never work. But receive it. But then he says to us, then let it work out. Now, when we talk about this, we go back to the word grumbling. And he says the way it should work out is we should not complain and we should not grumble. Do everything without grumbling, complaining, or arguing. Man, I was having a hard time this week with that, going, do I grumble? Do I complain? And when your wife sits down with you, and we sit down, we had an open conversation about do we complain and do we grumble? Man, that is a sweet but you know, painful time to, to openly talk about how we grumble and complain about different aspects of our lives. But I want to tell you what got it started really reading this passage got it started, but how it must have been the Holy Spirit that brought this article to my wife. I don't read to you a lot, but, but trust me, it'll be worth your time. It's from the Huffington Post. It's Dr. David Bradbury, author of the best-selling book, Emotional Intelligence 2.0. This article is called, How Complaining Rewires Your Brain for Negativity. To whet your appetite, how many of you would like to have more brain power in 2017 than you do did in 2016? I want it. I want more brain power. Anybody in the balcony? See that? I see that. I see that hand. The buses will wait. Come. Won't you come? That was my little Billy Graham. Don't complain. Listen to this. This is so good. I could jump up and down, but it wouldn't help. Research shows that most people complain once a minute during a typical conversation. Ouch. Complaining is tempting because it feels good, Dr. Bradbury says. But like many other things that are enjoyable, such as smoking or eating a pound of bacon at breakfast. I don't like that illustration. Two pounds is better than a pound. Complaining isn't good for you. Listen to this, listen. Your brain loves efficiency and doesn't like to work any harder than it has to. I didn't know that, did you? I thought my brain was ready to work. My brain's lazy. When you repeat a behavior such as complaining, your neurons branch out to each other to ease the flow of information. I talked about synapse firing. This is, a, this is actually a technical description of how your brain works better than what I did. When, let me read that again. When you repeat a behavior such as complaining, your neurons branch out to each other to ease the flow of information. That makes it much easier to repeat that behavior in the future. So easy, in fact, that you might not realize you're doing it. Do you hear what that's saying? That when you complain and you complain a lot, your brain goes, oh, okay, that's what you want to do? Okay, I'll just make it easy. I'll just set the wires in place. There are wires all in the attic. 
There's wires all around us. We don't see them. There's wires all around this building. And they're set in place to make this easy for us. It was engineered and designed so that we could have light and sound and cooling and not heating. Listen, so he says, I'll just set your brain like that. You can't blame your brain, Dr. Bradbury says. Who'd want to build a temporary bridge every time you cross a river? If you're going to complain all the time, I'm just going to go ahead and throw a couple pontoon bridges over there. We're just, no, and now we'll make it permanent bridges. You complain, we'll just set it up where your, your brain complains. It makes a lot more sense to construct, construct a permanent bridge so your neurons grow closer together and the connections between them become more permanent. Scientists like to describe this process as neurons that fire together, wire together. Let me say that again. Neurons that fire together, wire together. Now, Paul writes in Galatians, what you sow, you reap, right? He, he teaches that in a different way. He says, listen, if you're going to keep doing this behavior and sowing this, then you're going to, you're going to reap it. This is a guy describing biblical principles for us, and the same would be what you work in works out. Remember what Paul said in Philippians 2? Whatever you work in works out. Whatever you work in comes out. Whatever you wire in is what you wire out or speak out. Now listen. Repeated complaints, complaining rewires your brain to make future complaining more likely. Over time, you find it easier to be negative than to be positive. Regardless of what's happening around you, complaining becomes your default behavior which changes how people perceive you. Wow. Not only what if your brain grew, but what if your friendships grew? People see and know that you're a complainer. But complainers never know they're complainers. Unless they open up to the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit speak to them. People know you're a complainer. And here's the kicker. Complaining damages other areas in your brain as well. Research from Stanford University has shown that complaining shrieks the hippocampus. The hippocampus is an area of the brain that critical, that's critical to problem-solving and intelligent thought. Damage to the hippocampus is scary, especially when you consider that it's one of the primary brain areas destroyed by Alzheimer's. Short-term memory, problem-solving, just keep complaining. When I read this, I went, no wonder I can't work puzzles anymore. Just kidding. The next section is called complaining is also bad for your health. While it's not an exaggeration to say complaining leads to brain damage, it doesn't stop there. When you complain, your body releases the stressed hormone cortisol. Cortisol shifts you into fight or flight mode, directing oxygen, blood, and energy away from everything but the systems that are essential to immediate survival. One effect of cortisol, for example, is to raise your blood pressure and blood sugar so that you're prepared to either escape or defend yourself. What are the three responses? Fight flight, freeze, you know those. Cortisol is what gives it to you. Can you believe this guy discovered that complaining conditions you to do the vroom? You know what I mean by the vroom is? You ever get up and you vroom, vroom, just sitting there idling, you know what I mean? You may look cool on the inside, but listen, if you this week, just listen for the vroom. Husband says something, wife says something, the kids mess up, you vroom. Like a chainsaw. Boom, 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 boom. That's cortisol, baby. That's a, that's a lean mixture right there. And I just, you're quit laughing at me, Wade. I see you back there laughing. I'm going to get out of this. 
All the extra cortisol released by frequent complaining impairs your immune system and makes you more subsequent to high cholesterol. Check, got that. Diabetes, check, got that. Heart disease, have two stents and had a rotor on the third one, check, got that. Obesity, got to lose two to ten pounds in January, got that. It even makes brain more vulnerable to strokes. Man, if I can't whet your appetite to think about complaining, and it is not, it, it, we go back to the contrast. We go, we're up in the heavens, God. We're praising the Lord, God. We're celebrating. We're singing the praise courses. We're with you, God. We understand why Paul sang that hymn. We understand why the New Testament church sang that hymn. Then we hear the word, therefore, and he says, now listen to me talk to you about something. Get rid of complaining. <laughs> I think I'll read past that. Don't read past it. Unless you like diabetes. High blood pressure. Go on and on. Here's the hard part. Since human beings are inherently social, our brains naturally and unconsciously mimic the moods of those around us, particularly people we spend a great deal of time with. The process is called neuronal mirroring. Neuronal mirroring means our neurons mirror those around us. And it's the basis for our ability to feel empathy. The flip side, however, it makes it makes complaining a lot like smoking. My dad smoked. My dad smoked until about 20 years before he died. And so I've thought about secondhand smoke, right? If you're if you're in a car and your dad's smoking, guess what? You're smoking. So you see the illustration they're using? So, you know, if you're around someone, they're just smoking like crazy. You just kind of just get up against it and go, I, just, I think I'm going to breathe this. Or do you get away? You want to get away because secondhand smoke is bad. You don't have to do it to yourself to suffer the ill effects. You need to be cautious about spending time with people who complain about everything. Complainers want people to join their pity party so that they can feel better about themselves. Think of it this way. If a person were smoking, would you sit there all afternoon inhaling the second-hand smoke? You'd distance yourself, and you should do the same with complainers. This explains why the elders won't talk to me anymore. Seriously, I'm serious. Hold me accountable. You hear me in the hallway. You hear me in the message. I'm a sarcastic kind of guy, so I tease if it's... You know, but watch that. Keep an eye on me. My friends, you're my friends. 30 days. I can already have a headache from the neurons going, we built these bridges. You going to come across or not? He offers solutions. Let me tell you about it again in case you want to write it down and read it. It's an excellent article. Bradbury's his name. It's called How Complaining Rewires Your Brain for Negativity. I'm going to talk to you about the solutions just for a moment. And then we're going to go back to the passage in with God's Word. Simplifying his solutions, really, from Scripture, I would say he's right. His first solution is, you would think the first solution is stop the event, stop the thought, stop the moment, stop the circumstance, and ask yourself, is this something worth complaining about? He said, no. He said, the first thing you must do is give thanks. Can you believe he said that? The first thing you must do is give thanks. I don't see anybody writing that down. I hope you're jotting it down in your mind. The first thing you do when you hear complaining in your own mind 
is to give thanks. All right? You're looking at me like I'm at a calf at a new gate. You know, and I know what that looks like now. You're like, before you decide that's wrong, would you join me in 1 Thessalonians 5.16? You don't have to turn there, but if you'd like to, turn there. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 is so rich. I want you to hear it and understand what it says there so you'll know this is what you need to do. 1 Thessalonians 5. Verse 16. You're going to learn it today. I've been practicing it all the way here. And I did practice safely. But I want you, you're going to learn this scripture today so you can know. It says in 16, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Are you ready? I'm going to do it for you. I don't mind embarrassing myself. I'll be a fool for Jesus. Amen. First of all, how do you remember this scripture? It says, it says, rejoice. Rejoice, be joyful always. So this is the way I'd like you to do that. If you will, please raise your hands like this and go like, but bounce them, bounce them. Okay, everybody, come on, won't hurt you. Come on, cool. Some of y'all are cool, but okay. Be joyful always. See that always, right? See, we're bouncing it because it's always okay. Be joyful always. Next one is all right. Ready? Next one is pray continually. But we're gonna put our hands like we're praying, right? But we're gonna do it. We're gonna keep them moving. Why are we moving? Okay, it's not hurting you, brother. Come on, everybody. It's, oh, y'all are doing good. Pray all continue. All right, we're praying continually. Okay, right. Rejoicing always. Pray continually. Now, look at this. Then it's, we're going to take everything that is in our life, and we're going to give thanks in all circumstances. So the way we're going to do this is we're going to take all that we can reach around, all the circumstances, and we're going to put our hands around them. We're going to lock our hands together. Ready? Okay, see that? And we're going to give thanks in all circumstances. All right? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And the way we're going to do that, and when we get through, we're going to do fist bump. Fist bump, yeah, all right? Now you say, you're acting kind of childish. I have grandchildren. This week, after Christmas, I got my birthday present. It was a poster that my children had made for me. On the bottom, it says, Circle W Ranch. I, I took it out of the packaging. I took it out of the tube, and it was vignettes. Right in the middle was my dad. And then all around it were pictures, things that only they, my family knew, only I would appreciate. Where the tools hang, where the tack room is in the saddle sets. My mom on the golf cart. All these I opened it, I just started crying. I sent a text to him, love, love, love it. This is the text I got back. Fist pump! That was from my granddaughter, Faye. Fist pump, yeah! All right? Because if we do the will of God, guess what? Yeah, right? All right, we're going to do it together. Come on, it's not hurting you. It's not hurting you. All right, we're going to start with this. Be joyful always, right? Be joyful always. Pray continually in all circumstances. Be thankful. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. What? Yeah! All right, that's your scripture memorization for today. Someone says, do you want the will of God? I'll tell you what it is. Be joyful always, right? Pray continually. In all my circumstances, to be thankful. How many circumstances? All. So, Dr. Bradbury, but more importantly, the scripture says, in your circumstances, where do you begin? Do you start going, okay, i got to figure out, is this one that one I ought to be worried about? Or is this one I shouldn't be worried about? He says, don't, no, no, no. No, you want your brain to grow. You want your life to be fulfilling. You want to shine like the stars. Paul says in Philippians 2, you want to shine brightly for all the world to see. You give thanks. Then the next thing, Bradbury says, and he's right. Then you decide, is this something worth complaining about? 
So far, now just two days into it, I'll keep you posted. On the 30th day, I'll let you know I have not had anything worth complaining about. But I want to tell you something, and then you're going to do a case study with me. Let's do a case study together. I drive here in the morning. Uh, when I got out on the, on the highway, there were, on 287, right in front of our, uh, right there between Midlothian and Waxahachie, there were four cars. So usually there are no cars, but between um, Corsicana and Nacogdoches, 287 and 84, guess what Sunday morning is really good for? I didn't know this until I started driving here. Wide loads. If you owned a moving company and you're moving big, wide motor homes, mobile, you know, the big mobile homes, guess what they've decided is the best time to move mobile homes? Sunday morning. So let's say this morning, right there at the Natchez River on 84, I got behind a double wide. There's a lead car I'm behind, wide load. There is one half, the right side of the double wide. And there is the left side of the double wide. And they're all doing 55 in a 75. So, let's suppose that I pulled around. Let's suppose, that, you know, I was on the other side of the Natchez River. And I passed one, not all three. And then, after the end of that, at the end, let's suppose that a... One of our finest DPS officers pulled me over and gave me a wonderful, wonderful New Year's card. Let's suppose. Let's suppose that after he drove off. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Michael. That's a different, that's a position. Assume the position. That's a different thing, Michael. Let's suppose that when he drove off, I hear the sound of hissing and I have a flat tire. Flat tire, ticket that is going to be big, crossing a double yellow line and breaking the speed limit. <laughs> you think it's funny. Help me. What do I have to give thankful for? Right there in that moment, what do I have to give thankful for? Come on, someone. I didn't have a wreck. Nobody else was killed, right? What else? Come on. I have a car, right? What else? I have what? I have a spare. I do have a spare. What else? I have ability to change it. Amen. What else? I'm alive. What? Daylight? Not dark. It was good. It was daytime, right? What else? What else? Come on, help me over here. What? Justice. <laughs> Did I have it coming, sister? When you got a ticket, is that what you said to him? This is justice. Or did you go, hey there? No, that's bad. I thought about all these things. This didn't happen today. All these things have happened to me. But I wanted to put this a picture in your mind. To tell you that on the way here, I got behind a Grand Cherokee doing 10 miles an hour on the speed limit, and it just kicked in. Oh! And I heard the thought. And I started replaying thanks, thanks. One thankfulness I had is I've gotten accustomed to how long it takes and that there's always somebody in a track, on a tractor or somewhere on 84 or 287. And I left 15 minutes early, and I said, thank you, God. You gave me enough brain power to leave early. Then I started saying, thinking about this scenario. And what if I broke down? Do you know 
how many people in this church I could have called and they would have come and got me? Some of you looking at me, not me. I would have called you, Tom, I guarantee you. Now, there would have been a negotiation like a short sermon or something like that, right, Wade? But you know the most important thought that came up to me? I am. Listen to me. Listen to me. I am and always will be a child of God. Always will be. Do I deserve that? No. Have I earned that? No. It is something God has done in me. And it's got to work out. And the way it's going to work out in January and hopefully beyond is zero tolerance in this book, boy, for complaining. Because God has shown me that the nation of Israel complained and he opened up the earth and took a whole family into the ground. I mean, is he unfair? Is he unjust? He has shown us that complaining among God's people is a terrible thing. I close with this. I was reading about David. I love David, don't you? If I asked you who had the right to complain, wouldn't most of you say Job? But second, wouldn't it be David? David took the sling, right? And he slew Goliath. And so what was the long-range effect of the relationship between him, David, and the king, Saul? Do you recall? Tell me what Saul chose to do to try to kill him. In 1 Samuel 24, it tells about Saul and his men coming by a cave. And so they, they decide, Saul decides to go in for a bio break. And, and David and his men just happen to be at the very back of the cave. And one of his buddies leans over and says, you could end it all right now. You could end your nightmare right now. Aren't you tired of complaining? Aren't you tired of these situations? Look, we're in the back of, we're not even in the front of this cave. We're in the back of this cave. We live in caves. We could go to the palace right now. I'm tired of this. End it now. What did David do? He took out his knife and he slew Saul, right? No. He took out his knife and he cut the corner of his robe off. Then felt terrible about it. He felt contrite about it that he had even touched the robe of his master. And as, as the master is leaving, he comes out to the end of the, of, the, of the cave and he yells to his master, the Lord told me, I, I cannot touch your him. I can, I'm sorry. I, I will never hurt you. I will never hurt you. I cannot raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. And I'm sorry that I've ever done anything against you. I pledge to you to be a faithful, faithful servant. The power of God resting upon the person that chooses not to complain. Will it be us? It will be. Dear loving Father, we'd like to commit this because our pastor's coming. And just like when we clean up a house when the pastor comes, we want to clean up our lives. We want to be the church that doesn't complain. But that's not enough. That's not reason enough. It won't sustain us. Father, we'd like to do this because we want a bigger hippocampus. We want a bigger brain. I hate the way my brain is not working the way it used to work, Father. And I do want to, I do want to improve my mental health and and I would like to see diabetes gone and cholesterol gone and heart disease. All these things that are in this, I'd like to see that gone. Father, that's not reason enough either. But Father, I think the best reason would be that you worked into me your salvation. And I want that to work out of me. Isn't that what we all want? We, we, God, we just want to tell you as a church, 
You've worked into us grace and mercy and forgiveness and love and joy. You've put every good and perfect gift from heaven has come down to us. And we want that to work out. We're going to need your help with this. I'm going to. Lori and I are going to need to. My neural pathways, <laughs> you know they're hardwired. Unwire them, God. I repent before these people. I, I change my mind and I change my direction about complaining, whether it be about something little and daily or great and world earth-shattering. Father, I choose to thank you. I choose to praise you. I choose to be joyful always. I choose to pray continually. I choose to think of all my circumstances and give thanks in everything. For this is the will of God for Scott Willingham. And that's where I begin today. Father, pray if there's somebody else that wants to join in that, that they would today. There's someone here that needs to accept you as Savior and Lord. They would do that today. Lord, all of us. We have so many reasons to give thanks how could we possibly, in your presence, do anything other than praising, than praise you? So we do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's praise him. And if you need to come and you need prayer support in this, you can get it from us, from me and our friends here. Standing together, singing together. Let's come. Let's come right now.